0: Well, let's just open in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you specifically for the book of Ephesians. And thank you for Paul for calling him and equipping the, the worst of the worst, the murder of Christians, to build Christians up. Lord, you, you're, you're really fascinating. How would you pick a man like that? But you did, and then you pick us. And I'm so grateful for that, Lord. And I just ask that you would make this lesson clear today. That you would teach all of us, including me, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth. And um, we just love you, Lord, and commit ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I can't believe we're almost to the end. One more week. Next week. Okay, so if you have uh, cell phones, if you could make sure they're on silent or off, that would be great. That would be super duper. We're going to start with chapter 5 today. Okay, I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But... Do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. The first word is therefore, as we've said several times, whenever you see the word therefore, you want to know what is the word therefore, therefore, and it's therefore because <laughs> in verse 32, he said, um, be kind to one another because God in Christ has forgiven you. So because God has forgiven us, we are supposed to be imitators of God as beloved children. The word be was interesting. It's just a little bitty word, but I liked it, and it says um, to constantly be in the process of becoming. I love that, and I just went ahead of myself, so I'm going to back up a minute. The word therefore is therefore because we have been forgiven, and um, we said verse 32 in chapter 4 says God has forgiven you. But Spurgeon, this is such a great quote, I don't want to miss it. God's mercy is so great That he forgives great sins to great sinners after great lengths of time and then gives great favors and great privileges and raises us up to great enjoyments in the great heaven of the great God. Isn't that just, isn't that just, wow. You want me to read it again? Isn't it great? His mercy is so great that he forgives great sins to great sinners after great lengths of time and then gives great favors and great privileges and raises is up to great enjoyments in the great heaven of the great God. I love that. I think that just sums up Ephesians, honestly. Um, And it's what we've heard over and over and over again in Ephesians. Um, We were chosen by God for salvation. Even though we were once far away from God, we were uh, chosen and called and we were saved by his blood. His blood brought us near to God. We have a magnificent salvation. And therefore, because we have this magnificent salvation and forgiveness, Paul is saying, there's some things I want you to do. And there's some things I don't want you to do. So the first four verses, there's three things we're to do. We're to be an imitator of God. We're to walk in love. And we're to give thanks. We're to be an imitator. We're to walk in love. And we're to give thanks. In verse 1, it says, be an imitator. And as I've already said, the word be means uh, to be constantly in the process of becoming. In this case, an imitator of God. The word imitator was really interesting. It means... Follower or disciple. Um, But in another uh, book that I was using, it also says to mimic what you see someone else doing. And it made me think of a little child with his parents. You know, they want to do exactly what the parents do. It's so cute. Some of the... Or not cute. (laughs) Some of the things. (laughs) It can also be very disturbing. Some of the things that they copy, but they do copy their parents. So we are to copy our Father God. Uh, Another um definition was to be like an actor on a stage so paul is not saying we're supposed to pretend that we're believers but he is saying the word of god is telling us how god ex- what how god lives and exists and what he wants us to do and so we're supposed to imitate that it's in a good sense not in a bad sense paul is saying model your lives after god and act like god in other words keep up your efforts To imitate God until you think like God, talk like God, sound like God, and carry yourself in the confidence of God. Imitating God starts with a decision. I think you're new and you need a handout. (laughs) I've got one right here for you. Hold on just a second. We're glad you're here. What is your name? Oh, Silence, I've never met you. I've heard about you, and your name is fascinating. <laughs> I'm Debbie Dittrich. Sorry, guys, we're just going to meet each other. Meet and greet, meet and greet. My fingers aren't working, so take one of these and one of these. Nice to meet you too, Silence. Every... Yes, ma'am. <laughs> can I leave those there, and then you can give her what she needs. I'm going to let y'all do that, and I'm going to get back to teaching. Sorry. <laughs> oh. Take care of my little peeps here. <laughs> So imitating God starts with, it's a decision. I I think that's the point I want to make. When we are to imitate, thank you so much, Science. When we imitate God, it's because we're actually making a decision. You can do things even though you don't feel like doing them because you've decided to do them. Um, Recently, I was on the shooting range. I do like to shoot. My husband's been in law enforcement over 50 years. So he takes me shooting. And um, this was unique. It was a couple of months ago. And I was actually... Um, with an ex-military guy and I was being graded, sort of scored. That's another story. But in the process, I grabbed my gun wrong and the slide came back and it sliced my thumb and I was so embarrassed. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to be a girl go, ah! oh my God. You know, And I mean, blood was literally dripping. You know, blood was literally, it wasn't, I mean, it was dripping. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? I didn't want anybody to know how ridiculous that was. So I got, I had a hoodie. So I just, you know, grabbed my hoodie and held my thumb like that and kept doing my little thing. But I thought, oh my gosh, but I pretended. Everything was okay. I acted like everything was okay. And that's the point that I'm making. I was hurting. I was bleeding. And, but I wanted to do it differently. I wanted to be strong. So I pretended to be strong until I overcame that pain. <laughs> uh, so do you see the point there? We want to imitate our Father. Sometimes we don't feel like being kind. We feel angry. But we can with his grace, ask him, Lord, help me. I want to be just like you right now. I am angry, but help me not to be angry. Give me that strength. So it's not pretending. It is actually tapping into his strength to do something that he would want us to do, that he, he actually does. Um, the word beloved, he asks us to imitate God as beloved children. This word is so precious to my heart. It's only spoken of Christians. Who are united with God in the bond of holy love. Who were chosen for salvation. Isn't that precious? We are beloved, the beloved children of God. I absolutely think that's the sweetest name. And these are the things in the word of God. If you didn't grow up with, with mothers and daddies that called you beloved or felt that you were their beloved... And I wasn't, frankly. But we should take these words of God very seriously and take them into our heart and and hold on to them. I am, well, I am beloved. My mom and dad didn't particularly think that, I don't think. But I am beloved because my God says I am. Yes, ma'am. A beloved? Yes. It's only spoken of Christians united with God. In the bond of holy love, who were chosen for salvation, and remember in chapter one, let me find the verse it says that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him and in love. He predestined us to adoption. So he chose us to be his child, his beloved child. And I, in chapter 6, I've been working on chapter 6 for next week with the armor. And I'm looking forward to that session. But girls, these things are important. When the word of God is telling you something, that you're his beloved child, that's part of your armor. Do you struggle with being loved or feeling loved by God or desired by God? We need to hold on to these truths and actually say, that's it. I'm done. I'm loved. I'm also beloved. I'm the beloved child of my God. That's your armor. To go around all dejected and, well, I just don't know if God loves me. We have got to stand up and resist those lies. We're going to talk next week about that. But as I go through these things, those, we should all be, as we go to any part of the word, be... Grabbing hold of it and just clinging to it, and putting it into our pocket and keeping it. Does that make sense? Just like if you saw a a ten-carat diamond ring on the ground and there was no one around, I would pick it up and put it in my pocket, and I'd probably keep my hand on it the whole time. Just oh my gosh, I don't want to let go of that. If it fit me, of course I'd put it on. But I would want to find the owner. But if I didn't find the owner, I would want to keep it. That's a treasure. These are treasures. You keep that. Don't let the enemy rob you of what is yours uh, that was actually um, came to you by the sacrifice in blood of Jesus Christ. You are beloved. Whew. So we want to imitate our father, not out of fear, but out of love for the father who loves us. We're to walk in love. Verse 2 says, as Jesus loved us. How did, how did he do that? He did it sacrificially. He, he always de- did what was is best for us, not necessarily what we want, but what we need. And that's the way we are to love others. Not based on our feelings, but as a decision to love others. Because that's what our Father does. Um, Jesus offered himself up for us, and his sacrifice was accepted by God. Like a fragrant ar- aroma, a sweet or- odor accompanies an acceptable sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 says... Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Beloved children, offer themselves to God daily to do His will, not theirs, as Jesus did. That's how we worship God. God does not want us to sacrifice ourselves by dying for Him. He wants us to live for Him. Every moment of every single day. And verse 4 says we're to give thanks. That means to express our gratitude uh, to God. The Greek word is eucharistia, and it's the same word for Eucharist, for communion. It's used uh, for communion embodying the highest act of thanksgiving for the greatest gift, which is Christ's death. We should be so thankful for that. I really, I know that if you've been in the prayer sessions and if you've, been here, I've mentioned it, but I cannot tell you how much thanking God has changed my life this year. And not for what He does. Years ago, when Ann Graham lots I'm uh, not Ann Graham, Ann, um Voskamp came out with the book uh, 1000 Gifts, she was um, helping us be mindful of the many ways that God blesses us each day. Just the, a beautiful bird, um, a, a beautiful sunset. Um, whatever just all these little things and I'm not talking about that I did I do that but this is different I am thanking God for who he is so whenever I'm in the word and it says God loves you or God is your refuge or he's your strength or he's your righteousness I write that down and I think about it all day I literally ponder that I I I meditate on it and chew on it all day and I find that all day long I am thanking and Lord, thank you that you're perfect. Thank you that your power is made perfect in my weakness. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you have kind intentions towards me. Thank you that you bless me in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Thank you that I have everything I need for life and godliness through the knowledge of you. That's just, Those are all just the word. And it's life-changing. The The worry that I used to have and the... Different. I I just don't think that way even anymore. And the only thing I can attribute it to is that I am so caught up thinking about the magnificence of God that I am not no longer focused on on my insecurities or my inadequacies. I'm think all I can think about is Him, and it takes away worry. So I I really can't encourage you to do that, and I just have to keep encouraging you. Yes, ma'am. Yes. It's 1000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. It's really good. She was a, um, I can't remember the word. Is it agoraphobe? Not, ag- is it agoraphobic? She didn't want to go out of her house. And she, um, someone challenged her to write down a thousand things that she's thankful for. And so she, by turning her focus onto God and, and literally looking for his blessings all day long, it changed her life. She's a national speaker, international speaker and author now. So really changed her life, uh, considerably. Um, So in verses 1 through 4, Paul is telling us to do three things. Imitate God, walk in love, and give thanks. Now in verses 3 through 7, he's going to tell us what not to do. Let me read those for you. Do not let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And let there be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of, God, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. We are not even to name immorality, impurity, or greed. To name means to mention. We're not even supposed to mention those things. The antonym, the opposite of mention, is to ignore. So you could reword that and say, do ignore immorality, impurity, and greed. We're not to give attention to those things. We're not to even mention them. Immorality is a sexual sin. It's unfaithfulness to God to whom you are married. That's part of the definition. I really loved that. It is idolatry. Impurity means moral uncleanness, lewdness, any unnatural pollution, whether acted out by oneself or with another. Greed, as we've said many times in this um, class, greed is the longing of the creature who has forsaken God to fill itself with the lower objects of nature. Oh, that just kills me every time I say it. Greed is the longing of the creature. Who has forsaken God to fill itself with the lower objects of nature? It out of, Out of the Greek. This is the Greek. Anytime I give a definition, it's from the Greek. But if it's from Webster's, I'll say it's Webster's. So these are the Greek definitions. And I think that's really important because God picked these words very specifically. And they have very specific meanings. It's wonderful to look these words up in a greek dictionary idolatry means um excessive devotion to something to worship a false god colossians 3 5 says therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality impurity passion evil desire and greed which amounts to idolatry ephesus had a pagan temple dedicated to diana And sexual immorality and greed were prevalent, just like it is today for us. So these are things we really need to not even mention. Uh, Paul says in verse 3 that it's not proper for saints to mention these things. A saint is one set apart and sanctified. Carol and I were talking about our former church, and we grew up believing saints were different, didn't we? But we are the saints. We are the ones that are called and chosen by God. And dearly loved and brought into his kingdom and adopted as his child. Verse 4 says that the following things are not fitting. And that means proper. Um, Filthiness means ugly, shameful conduct of any kind. Silly talk. I I thought these definitions were very interesting. Silly talk is a type of speech that betrays a person as foolish. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was really interesting. When we would go visit that young man named Walter in prison, I'd take his children to see him sometime. And it always amazed me. He would often refer back to the, the evil things that he did. His um, Whether he beat somebody up or a sexual immorality because his children were were with him and so they knew these stories and he would say things like do you remember when and then he would describe this situation and i would just sit there kind of blinking my eyes and many times i said walter that's so inappropriate that's so inappropriate but um it really makes us look foolish when we talk about those things course jesting it was really interesting to me it says making hard subjects humorous Something that causes laughter. Now, I I did research. I looked it up. I didn't get a lot more information. But this is how I'm taking it. I'm assuming I'm right. It's coarse jesting. I would have thought that would have been ugly words or, you know, impurity or something like that. But it says making hard subjects humorous to cause laughter. Now, again, I, I did a lot of research. I couldn't find a lot on it. But to me, what that's saying is taking these deep subjects of God and turning them, because they're hard subjects, and then turning them into something that's humorous. So making fun of submitting to your husband. I mean, just think about our culture if you're on Facebook, think about the memes that you see that make fun of men or husbands. Or what about the one, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> Everybody laughs. That's not funny. Women aren't supposed to be in charge and make sure they're happy. And so, every you know, it, it, that's not funny. It's really not funny when you think about it. So it's like it's very It's totally very accepted. It is. It's not funny. And it's... it's it just really hit me reading this, that this is not proper for us to do. If it's something that's biblical, that's very important to God, um, we should not be making fun of those things um, and laughing about it. I just, It really hit me how important that is to, to really ponder these deep things. Look, think about your commercials or TV shows. They, the, today's shows make men look like idiots. Almost every commercial, some commercial that, that the woman, the man is shopping, following the woman around like a little puppy dog. And he's going, can I have this? No. Can I have this? No. Can I have this? No. And then he says, can I have this? And it's the hot dog that they're advertising. Oh, yes. Good choice. Like he's an idiot. You know, I'm in charge. You're not. Shut up. Do what I tell you. Oh, yeah, you can have that. Like you can have that to the husband. I mean... See, it's not, we laugh at these things or, or think that's funny. It's not funny. It's, it's very inappropriate. So it's just something to think about. Um, we want to be biblically correct and not politically correct. And today that is politically correct. That you're this amazing woman and your husband's not so much. And yes, ma'am, Miss Sherry. Well, there's, it's not saying we can't laugh. It's not saying we can't laugh. But to to make fun of people or to take God's precious word and twist it where we make fun of it, like submitting to a husband. You know, well, men don't know anything. Are you kidding me? They can't even pick. I, I'll give you an example. I, I saw a man at church. He was an elder. And I said, Oh, my goodness, you have such a beautiful tie on. I love that. That's gorgeous. And his wife was right beside him. And she said, well, <laughs> he couldn't pick out a tie to save his life. I have to pick out everything for him. And I, that's not funny. That's, that's very demeaning. And so that's what I'm talking about. But, you know, yes, we, we're supposed to laugh and we're supposed to have fun. But, but not at the expense of other people and not at the expense of God's word. Does that make sense? Okay. And let me just read verse 5 again. So we're told not to do all these things. And then he says, for you know with certainty. This is, he's telling us something very important. That no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So he's telling us, girls, these things are important. This immorality and impurity and greed and silly talk and coarse jesting. This is important. There's no inheritance for those of you who are going to walk down that path. You're my child. You're going to be in heaven. But there will not be an inheritance. We talked about that in chapter chapter 2. So there is going to be a judgment seat of Christ. You will never be judged for your sin. He's never going to look you in the eye and say, Sherry, you really messed up here and here. He won't give you a big list, a big handout with your sins. Jesus took the punishment, but he is going to reward you. So what you did in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants to reward you for that. And what you, if you just lived your life apart from Christ doing what you wanted to do, there's, there's no reward. There's not punishment, but there's no reward. So these things are very these these are important. These are important instructions that have very serious consequence. Verse six says we're not to let anyone deceive us. The word deceive means to seduce into error, in order to mislead. I just we could talk all morning about people, specific teachers that you would find online or in radio or television today that I think are deceiving us. It, it grieves my heart. And Webster's dictionary defines seduce as to lead astray by false promises. We're deceived by the empty words and false promises of others. Deceived means nothing of truth or reality, something that's false. And I just have to say it again and again and again. If you're not in the word, you will not recognize the lie. Yes. 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 Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. It is. it does. It takes your mind down a certain road just a minor. Well, it's not minor. It was big, but I've been married twice before. Um, I was an immoral woman. I was not a believer. And when I finally came to the Lord and started living differently, there were certain songs. I loved country Western music, but I had a lot of memories from bar. I didn't drink, but I loved bars. I loved dancing and I loved, you know, coarse jesting. I loved all that fun stuff. I loved to hang out and look for a new man, a new husband. And so, um, Which isn't funny. See, it is not funny. Um, But um, I had to stop listening to to country-western music because it would bring back those old memories and just certain songs associated with certain people. So that's an example of that garbage that's in and then your mind goes to a different place and garbage will come out. That's true. Uh, Verse 6 says that false words and and, um, lies, don't don't let anybody deceive you with empty words because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedient. I love the word, this definition for God's divine judgment, uh, for his wrath. It's God's divine judgment, God's utter abhorrence for sin. I think we would expect that. But you know what else it said? It is divine judgment and it is utter abhorrence for wrath, but... It's longing mixed with grief for those who live in it, in the wrath of God. Isn't that just precious? Okay. So judgment of God's wrath is divine judgment and utter abhorrence for sin. We got it. But it's also longing mixed with grief for those who are in the wrath of God. Sure longing mixed with grief for those who are in the wrath of God. Isn't that something? Doesn't that tell you something about our God? He, he Yes, there will be wrath, but he longs for you not to sin. He longs for you to come to him. He longs not to distribute this wrath. There's grief in it. I'm... Oh, that we would know our God. People say, oh, he's so filled with wrath. You, you need to know your God. Because it's, it's so much deeper than that. Sons of disobedience, I think we've used this definition before, is our willful, obstinate, unbelieving sons devoted to the philosophy of this world. I think that just is so clear for the, the culture that we're living in today. In verse seven says, therefore, don't be partakers with them, and it means acting together with someone, doing things together with disobedient people who are devoted to this world and not to God. We're not to be partakers with them, involved with them. So that might mean that we don't want to partake in their evil deeds. They don't go out drinking with them. Don't have sexual immorality. Don't maybe you wouldn't even want to consider a business partnership with an unbeliever, um, or especially marriage. Um, verse eight, again, uh, says for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Paul loves to remind us of who we were. We've been saying this over and over again. I think almost every week, remember who you were so that you can remember who you are. You were formerly darkness. And darkness means a person in a state of spiritual darkness. They are ignorant of divine things and human duties and therefore are ungodly and immoral. They are also ignorant of their consequent misery in hell. It's so sad. Darkness is used three times in Ephesians 5. In verse 8, 11, and and then chapter 6, verse 12. Now he says we are light. We're to walk as children of the light. Um, Light means a person who has the true knowledge of God and true knowledge of spiritual things. Paul wants us to live daily as a person who has true knowledge of God. And where do you get true knowledge of God? The Word. Colossians says that in chapter 1, verse 14... That Jesus delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We've been delivered from darkness. Therefore, we are to walk in the light. Um, Verse 9 says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Um, I love the definition of fruit. I'm just going to read it to you verbatim uh, from the book that I use. It's, just listen to it. I think it's great. The redeemed human life, that's you and me, is presented in the New Testament as a field. We're the field and God is the owner. And he expects fruit to be shared with him. The fruit of the new life is the evidence of it being attached to the vine. It's uh, John fifteen five says, uh, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. So the picture is, if we are abiding with Christ, we're going to have fruit. And that's what God is looking for. Um, It makes it evident that Jesus expects much fruit. He demands our fruit be commensurate to his investment in us. As indicated by the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Our rewards or lack of rewards in heaven are commensurate with the fruits of our labor on earth. So if you abide with him, you're going to bear much fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. The fruit of life, light, consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Goodness is a goodness of character. Righteousness is the righteousness of God. And truth means true and sincere holiness. As a new believer, uh, John fifteen five really popped out at me. Um, I just—it's been my life verse ever since. It's just a verse that I think of almost every day. I think, and what really struck me is, apart from Him, you can do nothing. And when I read that part of the verse, this was twenty-some odd years ago. I thought, wow, I better figure out what abiding is because if I'm not abiding, I'm—I can do nothing. I got to know what abiding means. Um, John fifteen eight says By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Ephesians five one says be imitators or disciples of Jesus. Disciples bear fruit. John fifteen sixteen says I chose you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should remain. Bearing fruit is what we were chosen from chosen for, excuse me. And God will cause the growth. It's just our job to abide in him, which means to dwell, remain, and stay. There's a book called Absolute Surrender. It's a little bitty book, Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. And I found it online in a, I can't think of a, it's just a document that I saved to my computer. So you can buy it. It's, It's very inexpensive, but it's a great book about just abiding in Christ, Absolute Surrender. Yes. Yeah. It's really a good bet. Verse 10 says, try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, and that means to do what God's will. So how do we learn what pleases God? Anybody? How do we know how to please God? How will we find that out? Yes, Vicki, from the Word. <laughs> Yay! Verse 11 says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Unfruitful means a person who has no faith and demonstrates by his evil works his separation from God. His deeds are unfruitful and they will not be rewarded. Darkness is spiritual darkness. Paul says, Don't even participate with these people, but expose their deeds, which means to convict, to prove one wrong, and thus shame him and reprove, rebuke, admonish. We expose the darkness by walking in the light. Have you ever noticed somebody that is walking apart from God and they don't want to be around you? And that's because they're exposed. They don't want to be around the light. Yes, ma'am. That's a really good question. Let's look here. Darkness are the unsaved people. So we're not supposed to, let me read this. We're not supposed to participate with them, but we're going to be with people that are in the darkness. But it says that if they are in darkness, we are supposed to expose that with the light. And I think, Sherry, that just means continue living out your life as a Christian. Don't alter your way of living when you're around unbelievers. And and some of them are our children. And so that doesn't mean we're supposed to break off contact with them. But it does mean that we're supposed to live our lives appropriately and not alter our behavior to enable their their sinful behavior. Does that make sense? And there are some people in the darkness that we would not want to have anything to do with. You know? Unfortunately, Walter, that young man I brought up, we we told him, we love you dearly, we'll pray for you, but until you decide to turn, we're not going to... He's dangerous. You know, we can't can't have contact with him. And And he's in prison, so... Um, Does that make sense? Did that answer that? Okay. Verses 12 and 13 says, It is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. These are the people in darkness. But all things become visible when they're exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. This is the third time Paul tells us not to talk about shameful things. Paul says that evil things are made apparent and revealed when they're exposed to the light. Paul mentions darkness three times and now he's mentioning light three times. Um, John three nineteen has always I just I love that verse, John three nineteen, it makes me want to cry for some reason. It says, and this is the judgment, that the light is come into <laughs> I start crying almost every time I read it, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Just that phrase, men love the darkness, just breaks my heart that we love we have our lord who is light and preciousness and that there are people that love the darkness more than our the light it just it kills me i was reading that verse one night and i'm real visual i i just have to see things to understand Many times with God's word, I I say, Lord, help me see that. I mean, I don't understand it. What does that look like? Because if it's not just for me, I can't just read it. I have to know, well, how do I live it out? What does that mean? What does it look like if I'm going to live that out? And so I came to that verse and I was crying and it was really late at night. It was almost midnight. And I thought, I wonder how dark the darkness is. Just a silly question on my part. But we'd lived in this house forever. And so I went outside and I put a blindfold on. And I was standing on the sidewalk of my home that I've been in for 20 some odd years and I thought I wonder how I'm familiar with these paths I'm familiar with my yard and my sidewalks I just wonder can I walk on a path in complete darkness surely I could right and so I was just out there wandering around and I got off the path really easily it was amazing when you can't see and there's no light you can't stay on the path my teenage son came home and said, what are you doing? I look like I was drunk, staggering around, you know. I said, I just want to know what the dark is like. What What is sin really like for people? And and it should not surprise us that they veer off the path. They cannot stay on the path. They're very drawn to the darkness. Yes, ma'am. Um, when I first a Christian, unfortunately, I was still some sins. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I couldn't explain it, and it just felt like darkness in my head. something was just all around me, and it turned, like, it turned on the light, and it still felt like it was light. Wow. It was like, in the room. Yeah. With the light on. hmm Yes out of the darkness yes yes. Wow wow that's very powerful. Wow wow that is so interesting Wow wow God is so faithful to get our attention um. It's really amazing. But light exposes and makes visible all things. Um, if you were in a completely dark cave with no light and you flashed your flashlight in a part, there would be light in that place. There's not going to be stubborn pockets of darkness that, that can't be removed. The light's going to expose the darkness every single time. Um and that's what you and I are. We are to let our light shine in the darkness. We're not to change the way we live and, and act just because we are around people that are of the darkness. Yes, ma'am. Please. Right. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for clarifying that. That's great, Amy. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. To words and so yes. Serious, yes. And, and the love we have for the lost. Right. That's why we're That's right. And the, the first words were um, of God. In love as he loved. That's very important, guys. So if this is coming across that we're supposed to be judgmental, that's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what Paul is saying. We're to be imitators of God as beloved children and to walk in love. Those walk in love as Christ did. That is absolutely true. Right. Um, judge. Sure. man um, very You keep going. Yeah. And, and I said to him, you know, greater love hath no man. Sometimes you just can't say anything to convince someone. You have to say the truth. The Lord, That's right, the truth.
1: Greater love hath no man that he that layeth his life down
0: his father's father. And that is what Jesus did. And, and, you know, and I asked his name, but I'm like, Oh, my, God. Oh my gosh. Wow. wow. I agree with you. Absolutely. I, I totally agree to with you. And say, yeah,
1: you know, not. Right. It's like that's not, you know, right. 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 Yes. Yes. We'll remember that more,
0: that yes. Exactly. Because the word is living and active. I agree strong. with you. <clears throat> right. I really do agree with you. So there's times to speak. That is that is what we do. We are children of light. But there's other times to love and to pray and hope and, and pray for that open door so you can woo your loved one to the Lord. Um, there's a, a man at our apartment with a, a lifestyle that, you know, he's immoral. And um, I love him dearly. And I love his boyfriend dearly I pray for him every day but I haven't approached him yet and stood up in his space you know toe to toe nose to nose but I'm praying for an open door that God will give me a chance but if he ever said something to me where you know I, I would have I might have to it, like if he said you're a Christian but you obviously you're so kind and, and approve of this or something I, I couldn't I would have to say well actually I don't I do love you but I don't approve of what you're doing. But, yes, there are times to say that. And um, Yes, ma'am. If you listen to a lie, you become a If you listen to a lie.
1: In other words, if I just not say anything, we could just bear to judge and say, well, this is what comes.
0: Right, right.
1: not just be judging to have a judgmental attitude. No.
0: Or even to say, um, I'm not sure I agree with you. you know I've done that before and I've not expressed why I don't agree, but they, they're not most of the time if they know me, they're, they know who I am. Well, it's you're saying, that in love, they can that's right. That's absolutely true. And so it's very and that's imperative. I mean that's we've got to override everything that we've heard here with walk in love. And so you're not trying to condemn somebody, you're wanting some you you should love them so that they will come to know the love of God and not Buddha. That's why we do that. Yes, that's great. They're already judged, but there is going to be a day of wrath. But I do think for some, the Bible, I can't think of any verses. Go ahead. God cannot send His the world to save the Whoever believes in the world is not in the but whoever does not believe, still to the They do, yes, with their unbelief. But there, there will be a day of judgment for them, and there, and I do think that people suffer consequences of their actions. Like Walter's in prison, there is a wrath of God that, but it's so that they'll come to Him. I mean, he's Walter's still alive, so God is is giving him more time and making the consequences harder so that Walter will turn. Yes, and I think that's why, Sherry, that that. He repeats over and over again, remember, you were once darkness. I think we're supposed to have compassion. Don't be haughty and think, you know, well, I'm not a sinner. I'm a Christian. Uh, Yeah, well, you were in darkness. I don't care if you came to the Lord at four. You were by nature a creature of wrath. But God in his mercy saved you. Verses 14 through 17 says, For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Um, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, for the days are evil. And don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is saying, because there's great darkness, <clears throat> because only light will expose this great darkness, wake up. Um, you don't have time to sleep. Don't be asleep with your light covered up. And... Um, what if thousands of ISIS men came into Buena Vista looking to annihilate all believers? I, I would be staying awake. Would you stay awake? I mean, I would get my family and friends together and say, okay, let's take shifts. Let's look, you know, carefully look out, you know, keep somebody always on the guard. That's what Paul is saying. These are dark days. These are dark times. Be awake. Be on the alert. Uh, Tom Hanks Said, I love that movie, A League of Their Own. There was one, um, quote one thing that he said that the girl was crying and he's there's no crying in baseball I don't know if you saw that movie but it just cracked me there's no crying in baseball and we should say that there's no sleeping in Christianity we can't be asleep we can't be sleepy heads God has called us out of darkness and we're to walk in the light we're supposed to wake up from our lethargy and be concerned about spiritual things don't be sleepy heads um, the term Christ will shine on you means that Christ made you rise out of the death of your sin. And he gave, created you as a new creature. So now awake. You, you are alive. So now live like you are alive is what he's saying. Only the Holy Spirit can awaken us to our sinfulness and out of the darkness. We basically, when we became believers, we heard him say, so to speak, Awake, sleeper, from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The greatest miracle on earth is when sinners see the light of Jesus. That's what a miracle that is. Eternal life. Verse 15, Paul tells them to be careful how they walk. Be careful means to think about things, consider things, contemplate things, look at things, weigh carefully, examine these things. Are you carefully considering the spiritual matters in your life? Are you you just ignoring your days and minutes here on earth? Verse 16 says to make the most of your time because the days are evil. Um... Make the most of your time means to take advantage of your opportunities for service. We're each to live our lives, not foolishly, but as wise people. And wise means to understand what God's will is. Make the most of your time. um, In verse 16, I love that. It's the exact same word for redeem. It's the exact same word for redeem. Christ redeemed us and bought us out of slavery through his blood and took us out of slavery and we are supposed to buy up all the time that can be bought and not allow the minutes and moments of our life to pass by unused for Jesus. We each have limited amount of time on this earth. Paul exhorts us to use as much of that time as possible for advancing Christ's purpose in this world. Buy up every opportunity. Sure.
1: I love that oh so precious oh I love that
0: profitable yeah oh I love that wow I love it just don't think we have any conception of our lives and what it will be like to see our lord who loved us so much and to realize what was i thinking I, you know there won't be punishment but will there be that moment of oh lord i wish i had lived more for you i wish i had done more i don't know that that's how it will be um we had a friend a pastor named bill rodenberg who's dead and um he died of liver cancer, but this was years ago. Um, when would that have been? In the 80s. Um, and he he was just diagnosed with liver cancer, and he was our pastor in Dallas, and a friend of mine, and I went to Houston, and he had this surgery. They were going to see if they could take the tumors out. And so she and I spent the night in a hotel to be with him and his wife during this time, and so it was bad news. They, you know. And to get to your liver, they cut you like... In half, almost. I mean, it's an excruciating surgery, and um, he had an epidural, which is the only reason he could even speak. I think, because he was out of pain. But um, it was—they just sewed him back up. There was nothing they could do. So it was not good news, and the wife was really sad, and I was sad. I just loved him so much, and it was so interesting. I said, um, "I'm in my little." new believer heart I thought well I'm just gonna I'm gonna agree to pray every day for him as if that's some huge thing (laughs) but I said Bill I want to pray for you every day and I'm thinking he's got about six months to live with the liver cancer and I said I want to I'm gonna commit to pray for you every single day what do you want me to pray for and he said pray that I buy up every opportunity for Jesus and I was just I don't know what my face looked like but I I think it must have been like what did he just say cuz in my in my heart in the in my 40s at that stage of my life, I would have probably been saying, uh, Pray that um, that maybe I can come up with a great recliner, that I have great meds, that I'm out of pain, that I get to see everybody I love and tell them goodbye. That, I think that's probably, you know, let's just make this a great comfortable last six months. And he wanted to buy up every opportunity for Jesus. And while I was in his room, and I'm not exaggerating, every single person that came in that room, he shared Christ with in a, in a, he had a unique way of turning every opportunity into Christ. So the lady came in to empty his trash and he said, thank you for doing that. You're so thoughtful and kind. How long have you been doing this? So forth and so on. He said, you know, have you heard about Jesus? He's a great, he was also picked up trash. He took the trash of our sins and he dumped it and he paid for the penalty on the cross so that we could live with God forever. He just turned it around. Then somebody came to take his blood and he said, well, how long have you been doing this? Do you like your job? It's so interesting. And, you know, Jesus was in the business of blood. Have you heard about Jesus? He, he died on the cross for our sins and gave his blood so that we shed his blood so that he could, we could live with him forever in eternity in heaven. And every single person, he, he, just, he, he had this way that he could present the gospel out of every single thing. And I just, I was, just, it blew me away. It literally was a life-changing moment. Because I thought he is dying and in pain and suffering and is wanting to use all of his moments, is using all of his moments for Christ. I'm healthy. I'm young. Why wouldn't I use up, buy up every opportunity for Christ? So it was a, a really powerful moment. We're not done till we're done. And at the age of 66, getting older, I just, there's an urgency I have to buy up every opportunity. I'll be seeing him soon. I don't have 66 more years to live, thank goodness. Um, I'm going to see him sooner than I can imagine. It's very important to buy up those opportunities. Verse 18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Dis, dis, dissipation is a person who spends freely. On his own lusts and appetites. So it's definitely drinking too much, but it could also be indulging other lusts. You're eating too much, spending too much, even exercising too much. Whatever has just captured your heart, and you're determined to do it with all of your might, and it just takes up all of your attention. That is dissipation. One who is dissipated is one who's lost his ability to save or spare himself. I thought that was a really interesting definition. He can't think straight, but we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit, and that means to fill a hollow place. The tense of that, be filled, is a moment-by-moment thing. It's not one once and done. One and done, it's a moment-by-moment filling. So we're sealed with the Spirit. That's one and done, so to speak. He's ours and we're His. But when we're filled moment by moment, that's a picture of us surrendering to him moment by moment, letting him do the work in us and through us. Lewis Barry Chafer said, to be filled with the Spirit is not the problem of getting more of the Spirit. It's a problem of the Spirit getting more of us. Does that make sense? We have all the Spirit we need. I. I wrote this down, and I I wonder if I actually wrote it right or if it was quoted right. But it says, to be filled is not the problem of getting more of the Spirit. It is a problem of the Spirit getting more of us. So it's us saying, I'm going to let you have full access to me, Lord. When we surrender to the Holy Spirit, He abundantly fills us so we are ready for service to God. That's what that means, being filled with the the Spirit. You are ready for service to God. An overindulgent, that is dissipated people, they're never ready to serve God. They're never satisfied. They're always yearning for more, but they always end up empty. But when we let God fill us, He always gives us more than we ask for or imagine. Verses 19 through 21, I'm going to read it. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Lord, giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, even to the Father, and be subject to one another. In the fear of the Lord. Basically, these passages, these verses, are just saying, you know, be filled with thanksgiving. It makes you merry in your heart. It makes you want to sing. Um, You're always thinking about God and always making melody in your heart. It's, it's a heart attitude, is what he's saying, of thanksgiving to God. And to be subject to one another means to place in an orderly fashion. In the fear of Christ means to have reverence, honor, and respect for God, in a sense of accountability to God. We're never to be people pleasers, but God pleasers. We simply put people in their proper place, respecting and love them, because we fear and reverently respect God. So chapters 4 through 521 have given us uh, general information how to live our life, how to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And now Paul gives instructions to specific groups of people. Today in verses 22 through 33, it's to... Uh, wives and husbands Uh, next week in chapter 6 there will be um, instructions to children to fathers to slaves and to masters so I want to do this differently this last part verses 22 to 33 you have a handout that on one side says what wives are supposed to do and what husbands are supposed to do and then on the back of it it says what christ does and what the church does so i'm just gonna we're gonna make little lists. making lists sometimes are really good so i'm just gonna go through what wives are supposed to do what husbands are supposed to do what the church is supposed to do and what uh jesus does um here's what wives are supposed to do these verses are blown so out of proportion (laughs) Verse 22 says, be subject to your husband. So you could write that down. Verse 22, a wife is supposed to be subject to her husband. Verse 33, she's supposed to respect her husband. Two things. Be subject to your husband and respect your husband. Let's talk about subjects. Um, Be subject to. It's to put in its proper place. Period. Be subject to means put in in the proper place, to place in an orderly fashion. That's it. So here's the example. I want you to think. You might, if you have to close your eyes, if you can't, just think of it off the top of your head. Close your eyes and think real hard. Can everybody right now visualize where your sugar is in your home? Your canister or your box or your, your little carton. Everybody know where their sugar is? Are you thinking, good grief, I don't know. Where is my sugar? You probably all know where your sugar is, right? So you left the house today and you're fairly certain, I'm I'm sure, that your sugar was in a certain place. So when you come home after Bible study and you walk in your home and on your coffee table in the middle of the living room, the the container of sugar is on that table and it's spilled. So there's sugar everywhere all over the table. What would you do? I'd be really irritated. I would say, who put the sugar in? Who did this to the sugar? Why isn't the sugar in its proper place? Good grief. Who did this? Come fix this. And see, we would be really upset. This is going to hurt. I'm just, prepare your heart. If we would be upset if our sugar was not in the proper place, it might upset us for the rest of the day. But we don't give a hoot if our husband's not in his proper place. Ouch. Ouch, ouch, ouch. That always makes me want to cry. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. That's really good. I didn't, yes. Did you all hear that in, Gen- in Genesis? 316,
1: Genesis
0: 316. Uh, 3, 16. 3, your desire will be to rule over your husband. That's from the curse. And, and boy, I don't know about you, but I see it everywhere. Women want to put their husband down. They don't want to put him in a proper place of respect um, and submission. Um, it's really sad. So let's just continue talking about it. Are women the only one who are told to be subject to someone? No. It's a biblical concept for people to be subject to one another. Here's some verses for you to ponder. God subjected all things under Jesus. God is, has power over all, but for this period of time, God subjected all things under Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 15.28 and Ephesians 1.22. But at one point, Jesus will then become subject to God. When everything is done and it's all over in 1 Corinthians 1528 in the end he will hand the kingdom over to God and submit himself to God having accomplished his task of redemption Jesus was subject to his parents Luke 251 women are supposed to be subject to their husbands that's Ephesians 522 Colossians 3 18 first Peter 3 1. And verse five, and Titus two five. The church is. I'm sorry. Sure. Yes. I, those are a lot of verses. Ephesians five twenty two, Colossians 3, 18, 1 Peter three, verse one and verse five, and Titus two five. The church is subject to Christ. He's our head. That's Ephesians five twenty four. Believers are subject to one another. Ephesians 5.21 Our dead bodies will be subject to Christ. Philippians 3.21 The demons were subject to the disciples in the name of Jesus. Luke 10.17 We subject ourselves to governing authorities. Romans 13.1 We subject ourselves to God and the enemy will flee, James 4, 7. Being subject is just God's way. It's just God's way for all of us. It's what believers do, not just wives. Why are we to be subject to our husbands? Because God ordained it that way. Now, it is a voluntary yielding. Jesus did not submit to God out of fear, but voluntarily. And that's our, that's our role. It's not out of fear. It's because we volunteer and say, you know what? That's your job. I'm going to let you make that decision. Or I'm going to put you in your proper place. Do we do that because he's the best leader? Or the most kind? No. Do we do it because we're afraid of him? That's not the goal. It's because Jesus wants us to we voluntarily submit to him out of respect for our lord and it's it's hard it's hard sometimes if your husband's not taking the lead if he isn't kind um, and we're not talking about abuse here if you're an abusive relationship i urge you to get help talk to somebody um, because those areas of submission that's a completely different um, subject and we're not going to go into that but um, ordinarily we are to submit to our husbands and that doesn't mean they're perfect um, it also says that we 're to respect our husbands, and that means to honor, revere, respect, and fear we respect God and fear god that 's first peter two seventeen and we respect our husbands because we respect and fear god that 's it two things: we submit. To our husbands because our husband has a position assigned to him by God. Women are never told to love their husbands specifically. We are to love others, but women are never never told to love their husbands. If we submit to them and respect to them, they'll they'll see our love by our actions. Is your husband distant from you? Do you feel like he pulls away from you? Perhaps you're the cause. Do you rebuke him constantly? Do you criticize him constantly? Or do you support him and respect him? Just consider these instructions. It's not too late to change. I don't care how old you are. What does a husband do? Well, get ready to write that other column is for him. He has a lot more to do than you do. Verse 23, he's to be the head of the wife. Verse 25, he's to love his wife. Verse 28, he's ought to love his own wife. Verse 31, he should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Verse 33, love his wife. Three times he's told to love his wife. Verse 23, he's supposed to be the head of the wife. Head is just, there's one body and there's one head. There's one master, there's one Lord. And the man is woman's head. That's because God made it that way. That's just the way it is. Jesus is the head of the church he is our servant leader and that's that's what the man is to do is to be our head as a servant leader hmm It's true. And you're not. You're being very disobedient. You're absolutely right. You are absolutely right.
1: Yes, so it wasn't that, you know, yes, them, yes, but that it
0: should be out. No, you know, oh, no, no, out of Right. yes and it says if you love me you'll obey me we don't you don't obey him and then love him you love him first and and that's why we submit to our husbands because we do love the lord and we want to please him um and the man is to be a servant leader but he answers to god not you jesus is the man's head not you our entire culture operates with a head. There's a chief of police, there's a school principal, there's a lieutenant, there's a general, there's a mayor, there's a governor. There's a, there's a head of of something. There's a head of Bible study here at Clearview, there's a head of woman to woman. There's there's heads of everything. Someone has to be in charge. It doesn't mean they're the best person for the job. But it's the only way to have order. God has made this plan. The man is the head, not you. It's a good plan. What happens if you don't put your husband's head? Well, what happens if your head is removed from your body? (laughs) They call that decapitation. (laughs) It results in death. And you can also be decapitated. I find this interesting. You can have an accident and your head's not literally removed from your body, but it's severed. You're still alive, but you're not in good shape. And you can be paralyzed from that. And they call that decapitation. Um, And... So if, you're, if your husband is not the head, it can, re, it can result in the death of your marriage. It can result in a paralyzed marriage. It's not growing. It's stagnant. You're stuck. Verse 25 says the man is to love his wife. How is he to love her? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He is supposed to love her sacrificially. What a tall order our husbands have. Verse 28, Paul tells the husband again, love your wife as you do your own body. This has to do with being one body in Christ. Uh, Everything works together. If you don't love others, they're going to suffer. If you don't love your wife, you're going to suffer. You are one body with your wife. Verse 31 says the man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. This union becomes the most important union for him. More important than his own parents. Why? Because God ordained that. And moms, if you don't encourage your son to leave and cleave you, then shame on you. You should pray for your son to put his wife first. Bless him for choosing her over you. Um, And if you're not doing that, then you're not helping him fulfill the role that God ordained him to have. My son and I were so close. We talked every single day. Every single day about the Lord and spiritual matters. And literally every day we were always spurring each other on. And I just loved loved talking to David. But when he got married, I told him, Now, son, I don't expect this to continue. You need to go right to his beautiful wife, Lainey, which he has done. I I so admire him. He put her first. But I had to also give him that permission. And um, that's an important thing to do. And I missed him. I had to tr- I cried for several weeks. I really missed not having that precious boy in that capacity in my life. And I just had to say, Jesus, I'm going to do the right thing out of faith, and I know that you're going to comfort me and help me. And He sure did. Verse thirty three. For the third time, Paul tells the man to love his wife. There's in we that marriage isn't a big deal anymore. A lot of people that choose. That's right. Mm-hmm. Or they choose it to be kindary. Right, right. So I mean evil has so prepped into our lives that many of us see maybe there's fifty percent of them. Uh know. We're missing God's benefits. It's so sad. So, verse 33, where uh, Paul tells the man to love his wife, we have a third time uh, he's admonished to do that. The man has lots more to do and lots more responsibility. Um, Paul's emphasis in this passage is not on the submission of the wife, but on the duty of the one in authority, namely the husband. The husbands are to imitate the love of Christ for his wife. Serving her like Christ did is more important than being in authority. Paul is wanting husbands to be servant leaders. Um So let me quickly give you a list on the back side of that page, is what does Jesus do. Verse 23 tells us he's head of the church. We've already gone over some of these things, but I'm just going to put it down so you can write it on your little list. He is to be our head. He loves the church. Verse 25. Verse 25, he gave himself up for the church. Verse 26, he sanctifies the church. Okay. Uh, Verse 25, he loves the church. Verse 25, he gave himself up for the church. Verse 26, he sanctifies the church. In verse 27, he presents... The church to himself in all her glory without spots or wrinkles. And that means to place the church before himself. He will make us spotless without wrinkles or spots. Verse 29, he nourishes and cherishes the church because we're his body. And nourish means to cause Growth. And cherish means tender, loving care, like a mother for her newborn. I just love that. And verse 32 says that um, the mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Our union with Jesus at the marriage feast, the consummation, it's still a mystery. It hasn't been fully revealed yet. What's going to happen at the marriage feast of the land it will be grand we don't know what it's going to be exactly but we'll be one with him in a way that we we don't know yet how that will be um but we should be excited about that as we are for our own wedding night it's a union that we should really look forward to i want you to pay attention the woman does nothing with her husband that she doesn't do with christ What she does with Christ is what she's supposed to do to her husband. She submits to Christ, and she has fear and awe and respect for Christ, and that's exactly what she's supposed to do for her husband. And the man does nothing for the woman that he does not do for the church, that Jesus does not do for the church. Jesus loves us. He's our head. He gave himself up for us, and that's all Jesus is saying to the husband. I want you to do what I would do for your wife. Do what? Take the bullet. Take the bullet. (laughs) And there's one last column, the church, and this is repetitive, but just to reiterate. In verse 23, Jesus is our head. Verse 24, we are to be subject to Jesus in everything, that word everything, everything, we're supposed to submit to Jesus. Verse 25, we're loved by Jesus. Verse 26, the church is sanctified and cleansed by the word of Jesus. What are you in if you're not in His Word? You're in big, fat trouble. (laughs) You've got to be in His Word. Verse 27, the church is presented to Jesus in all her glory. He doesn't ask us to clean ourselves up. He'll do that for us. Can you imagine? I just think of a bride walking down the aisle. I just love it when the doors open and the bride is there in her beautiful dress. And just imagine, in all of our glory, with no spot or wrinkle, what that's going to look like. Wow. Wow. Verse 29, the church is nourished and cherished by Jesus. What a picture of a church. If you're single, that should make you swoon to me. You're not alone. You're Jesus' bride. He cherishes you and nourishes you. It should be something you should experience and be grateful for. Are you married? That should make you so in awe of God. It should make us pray for our husbands. Just doing this again has just made me so mindful. I really need to pray for my husband. Rather than criticize him for not doing what I think he should do, I should be praying for him. God expects a lot out of him. Instead of feeling sorry for myself, or I know women who just feel so sorry for themselves because their husband's not up to par. You have Jesus. I understand it. I get it. It's hard. But quit feeling sorry for yourself. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's your all in all. Jesus will support you and with and, and uh, uphold you to love and respect your husband, to submit and respect your husband. So that's it for today. Any any questions or thoughts? We had good discussion today. Yes, ma'am. Silence. Yes.
1: Yes. think about. that to you know, I often say to say, just it my just oh
0: yeah, okay. Yes. Yes. Right. Right, I know it and that's letting your light shine just by not saying that and not entering in I'm going to give this is a handout and we've talked about different ways to study the Bible and to make lists and this handout it has it's Ephesians what are the characteristics or the attributes of God what has God done for me what is our responsibility there's one per table if you want a copy I have a list up here You can sign up, and I'm going to send you an email. This is a lot of paper, so if you want a copy of this, I'll send you an email with this as an attachment. So look over it, and if you like it, just pass it around on your table. Uh, Sign up for it before you leave today, and I'll make sure you get one in email. I think it's a great list. Just right here. Where did it go? Now, I'm not passing them out. Just look at it. You want to? You want to look at it? Okay. I'm very chinchy with paper. Let's see. Is there a? Yeah. There's. Here's. This is going around. So make it where I can legible. Y'all keep that paper going. I think it's really, really good, and it's. But it's not just great. Um, for what Ephesians has taught us I want you to keep in mind this is a great example of how you could study the word you could take the book of Colossians or Philippians or, and just use these columns what is God saying what does it say about God what are his attributes what has God done for me so what am I supposed to do these are great this is a great tool did that make sense does that make sense yes ma'am Ooh and, um, and I just got done with
1: the book of And um, so as I
0: was going Isaiah, I just me Right, right. oh yes. God. Yes, Vicky. Yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. That's wonderful. I love that. Right. I love that. Yes. Yes. That's a, Amen. That is it right there, Vicki. That's it. And... The attributes, is it J.I. Packer or um, the attributes of God? Does anybody? Um, and, and what do you do, Sally? Don't you color, use a different color in your Bible for the attributes of God, or is it just in the Psalms? And do you in your did you show me in, like in Psalms that you underline in a different color what the attributes are? No. No. I just do in Psalms what I want to say. About. Okay, got it. Got it. Yeah. I yeah. just Psalms a Mhm. Right. I love that. I love that.
1: Right. Um, but even as you do it every time you do the passage, then you are able to more easily submit to this God. Yes. Because you so understand him so much more yes. than some radical person style.
0: Right. That's absolute Did y'all all hear that? That when... I think knowing that we're going to be obedient to God, I keep my mouth shut. I know it. And I know it. do think i i i do that a lot I, I will ask the lord to show me what my husband is doing and i i think every day in some way i'm telling my husband different things you know you are so I, you're so handsome or thank you for doing that and i really appreciate that you know, i'm so glad you're my husband and that's just how we talk to each other but that doesn't mean i always feel that way there's some days i'm like oh and um i'm a human and i'm frustrated um but um and y'all one person at each table can fight over keeping that. Y'all can one one y'all can keep them, but only one at the table can keep them. Um but but to really, you know, think about your husband and ask the Lord, how can I build husband's love? I think that's showing respect. Build him up. Tell him what you love about him. If you tell him every day, I don't think they'll ever get tired of hearing. I just love the way you do this. I love the way you do that. Thank you for doing this and You're so awesome. Gosh, I'm so glad I married you.